Well, it's good to be here. Uh, as Scott said, Pastor Paul um, is on vacation. Uh, my name is Jamie Buchanan, and I am the pastor of students um, and families here. And I kind of feel like, how many of you are on Facebook? You know, I kind of feel like we're on vacation with the McVities. Um, if we know Kim McVitie, um, there's a picture every 30 seconds. Um, whether it be a grizzly bear or Asher having to stand still or um, something like that, uh, there's always a picture. So we're right there with him. Um, and he's um, vacationing in Canada. Um, yeah, I wanted to pause there um, for just for fun. Um, I think the last time I spoke, I did say when the cat's away, the mice will play. Well, we kind of played a little bit. Um, we ripped up the lawn. Um, we cut down some tree limbs. We um, uh, moved some dirt around. And we actually played with spray paint um, all while Paul was gone. So he's going to be listening to this later, so he'll know and get after me. But if you look outside, we're trying to work and do some things. Hey, if you're available um, this afternoon and want to help finish off a gaga ball pit, that would be great. Um, if you're available next weekend and you want to help finish um, the kids' playground out here, that would be great. You need to talk to Lori. A lot of great things are happening as we get ready for the fall. Our series that we've been in um, is entitled Come and See. We've been going through the Gospel of John. And right now we're kind of on a sub-series um, entitled I Am The Way. And so as I, I was thinking about this and kind of praying, and you know me, it's like I... Um, I don't preach that often, so when Paul says, I'd like you to preach, I have like four to six months to prepare, um, which is awesome. I have a newfound respect, you know, for him week in, week out in preparing sermons. Beyond Belief to Transformation is the title. Beyond Belief to Transformation. And as you can see, transformation is important um, to us, especially in student ministries, um, the student ministries are called 12-2 student ministries based off of Be Transformed, Romans 12-2. Working on some, putting a logo together and maybe having some swag for the fall. So um, we're going that way. But as we think about it, we, um, we, just, we just try to focus on are we being transformed and made more and more into the image of Jesus? So the word I want us to look at um, right to get started is the word beyond. Beyond. We need to move beyond. There are a lot of famous like quotes and sayings and, um, from movies and whatnot that have the word beyond, but this one's my favorite. All right, then I will. Stand back, everyone. To infinity and beyond! All right, I know some of you want to watch the whole movie. We can't. We don't have time. Um, Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond, to eternity and beyond. I don't know if that fits, but here's another one. How about above and beyond? Have you heard that before? Um, that's played out in my home quite well. I, my wife and my daughter are both taking classes, and they will be getting 100% in their class, and they'll do an extra credit to get 105 um, above and beyond. Um, beyond our imagination or our wildest dreams, the Vikings winning a Super Bowl. 
beyond our beyond words. Us after the Vikings win a Super Bowl. <laughs> beyond Matt, a wrestling documentary behind the scenes of professional wrestling. But seriously, one of my favorites is a book by Josh McDowell. It's called Beyond Belief to Conviction. It kind of kind of sets us up for this. In there, he talks about how we can take areas of our life that are, are, are hurtful, sinful. We don't know if they're, if they're good. And we can say, we can look and we can do three things. One, um, we can um, hold that up and say, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say? We, we might know it's wrong because we've grown up that way, but what does the Bible say? We can take it even further. And say, okay, what does the Bible say? And what does the Bible say about how it's wrong? For instance, lying. You shall not give false testimony. Exodus 20.16. But then you don't stop there. You take it and you compare it to the very nature and the very person of who God is. What is it about God that we know that says lying is wrong? Well, we know that his son Jesus is what? The way the... Truth and the life. God is truth. Moses prayed, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you. Exodus thirty three thirteen. Moses recognized that learning God's ways, understanding his precepts and the principles behind them would help him grow to know the person of God himself. And when you compare a specific choice or course to the action of God you'll begin to see that God's will more clearly. Last week, we looked at John 4, 43 through 54. Today, we're looking at John 5, 1 through 17. And I've been praying that God will open our eyes to really see what we need this morning. If you need a Bible, um, you can raise your hands. Uh, the ushers are going to hand those out. There are these blue Bibles here. Um, we want everybody to have one. We value God's word. If you don't have a Bible... Um, Take it home. It's our our gift to you. We want you to have it. Um, We would love it if you'd follow along with us. It's page 890 um, in that Bible. Or you can use your own Bibles or whatever you need. But we'd love it if you'd read with me. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went to Jerusalem. And now there, was, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, That man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? And now the man who had been healed did not know 
who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, that, see you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. John chapter 5, it's a transitional book um, in the life of Jesus. Um, Jesus is now um, moving into a place where the opposition against the religious leaders and the people of that are starting to heat up. They're starting to really give him a hard time. They're starting to really um, get after him. And it's a transitional time. So let's look at starting in, in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in, Ara- in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which had five roof colonnades, five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. It's not really known um, what festival or feast that was that Jesus was going to celebrate. But he did make his way by the pool. As you can see, the, I, I saw this artwork and thought it was a really good representation of that. The pool of Bethsaida was a place of healing with anywhere from 300 to 3,000 people sick and disabled there daily, depending upon what was going on. The word for Bethsaida is house of mercy, while it often resembled a house of misery because of all the hurt and pain and anguish around so if you were to keep reading, you would read, look at your Bible. You'd read three, and then what would you do? You'd go right to five. Have you noticed that? Um, where are verses 3b and 4? They were removed from a modern-day translation, but they're in the 1611 King James Version. And it says, And they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each disturbance would be cured for whatever disease they had. Could this have been supernatural? Yeah. Could it have been just um, a therapeutic time in the pool where the water was, the spring water was warm and, um, and there were things there that were helping people um, feel better? Yeah. We're not sure and we don't know. And regarding the principles that we're talking about, it kind of doesn't matter. But it's just I wanted to explain as you looked at there and you saw, oh, it went from three to five. So look at verse five. One man there who had been an invalid for 38 years, one man was there um, who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he already had been there a long time. My question is, as we look at this, why out of all the sick people there, did Jesus pick this guy? Why out of all the sick people there did Jesus pick this guy? Did Jesus know that this man had great faith like he did for the official in chapter 4? Did Jesus really know that this man had such great faith like remember as we, Paul talked about last week, this official had such great faith in Jesus and his healing. And Jesus pointed that out and ended up healing um, the, the person that needed the healing. So did this man actually have that faith? 
Uh, no. Those two are night and day different. This man that Jesus knew exhibited no faith. And we'll see that a little later. Jesus picked this man to display God's mercy and to display God's grace and to show that he was Lord of the Sabbath. And we'll look at those things. This, is, this same Jesus is the Jesus that we know. The Jesus that knows us. He knows us inside and out. Um, he knows us. And that shouldn't be a scary thing. Jesus knowing us should be a great thing in that he knows, he knows that, um, what I need. He knows exactly what I need to be made more and more into his image. And so as he knows me, I, I, I go to him more. I surrender my life to him more. He points those things out, and sometimes they're not so pleasant. But he points those things out, and he knows me, and he loves me. And what does he want? He wants the best for me. He wants me to know him, to know his father, and to be with him for all eternity. Jesus knows you. Then look at verse 6. The first part. So Jesus said to him, so now he's talking to this, or he comes up to this guy. Um, He knows that he's been there a long time. He looks down and he says to him, do you want to be healed? Wait, what? (laughs) Do you want to be healed? Why did Jesus, Jesus ask this paralyzed man, do you want to be healed? Well, we got to look back at the Samaritan woman in John 4, and we'll get a better understanding of what Jesus meant. Jesus' intent is he goes deep to the spiritual. In John chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus answered this woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it was and who it is that is saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus wanted to assess the desire and the faith. But is faith always needed to be healed? I think this this man's answer shows that um, he had no faith in Jesus. He didn't even acknowledge who it was that healed him later on, as we'll see. His faith wasn't in the great physician of Jesus. It was in the pool. His faith was in the pool. God heals even though the person being healed has no faith. Why? Because of his mercy. Because of his grace. His desire for healing. The most important area of our lives. Our hearts. The healing of our hearts. In seeing uh, our hearts, in us seeing the need for the gospel. The need for what Jesus has done on the cross. That we need Jesus and what he's done for the cross and what he's done for our sin and, what, and how he can give us eternal life. We need that. And then when we stay focused on this, we choose to follow him. We be, are being transformed and made more and more into his image. Faith that leads to transfer, transformation, to be more like Jesus, will be there when our focus is on him. Okay, so I read and, and look at some of these other scholars and stuff. And, and John Piper um, had, this, had this quote that um, just hit me. Jesus moves 
toward needs, not comfort. He moves towards our needs, not our comfort. Look at verse 7. The sick man answered him. Okay, so Jesus said, do you want to be healed? To a guy who had been lying there for 38 years, unable to walk. The sick man said, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going down, another steps in before me. And my question from that was, really? (laughs) Really? That's how you answer when somebody says you want to be healed and you've been sick for so long? What does this man's answer tell us of his focus, of his heart, maybe even his character? He answers with an excuse as to why he hasn't been healed for 38 years. I believe he couldn't see beyond his physical healing of his legs to the need for the healing of his heart. Maybe even that he had been there for so long around all those people and done the same things with the same people dropping him off that day, picking up, taking care of him, um, sitting in the same spot. Maybe his identity was found in being around that pool. The focus um, for this guy was the here and now, the immediate. He could not see beyond himself to a a belief that the one who is standing before him is offering him eternity, which is exactly what he needed. He needed his heart to be made alive, as we sang. Every minute, every hour, every day, every week, Around us are things that, that we live our lives for, that we focus on. And sometimes um, we can be so caught up, even in these good things, that we're not looking beyond these things and looking towards eternity and looking towards uh, what God has for us and looking towards the need for the gospel and looking towards following Jesus. So, This guy says back to Jesus, I don't have anybody to take me uh, into the pool. And what does Jesus say in verse 8? Jesus said, get up, take up your bed and walk. Whoa. Get up, take up your bed and walk. Jesus didn't even address the man's excuse-driven answer. He didn't even address it. He was saying to the man, or trying to say to the man, you don't need the pool. You don't need others. You need me. Even though you don't deserve it, even though you have no faith, even though you can't see your uh, past, your present situation, you need me. You need the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says this um, to the man. And in verse 9, at once the man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. So if you could imagine this going on, um, the guy gives, gives the excuse, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. Um, Jesus responds to the excuse by saying, get up, pick up your bed and walk. 
And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. That's my woe part too. Miraculous healing. No faith. But Jesus loved this man and wanted to see this man um, pursue him or pursue the kingdom of God. So a miracle takes place in this guy's life. 38 years of not being able to walk. And there's no thank you. There's no, how did you do that? There's no reaction, it seems like, there. He didn't even try to run off and tell others and show others, hey, look at what happened to me. We'll see later what he does. Now, all of this was happening on the Sabbath. So the Jews, in verse 10, said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. So I look at it like this. What does he do? Goes into the temple and gets pulled over by the Sabbath police. So bear with me. Uh, we got 1130 in progress. There's a man carrying his bed on the Sabbath. He's breaking the law. I'm going to pull him over for questioning. I'll need backup. Okay, now as funny as that is, imagine if they knew who this guy was. We got an 11.30 in progress. There's a man carrying his bed on the Sabbath. It's the guy from the pool that's supposed to be paralyzed. I don't know why he's walking. That doesn't matter because he's breaking the law. Pull him over. Crazy. What's the Sabbath? God's original commands, there are 613, the laws of, of Moses. As time went on, these were meant to draw us and point us towards Jesus and to help us. Man kept adding on these laws and making them harder and harder to attain because they wanted to like... I want to make sure I'm perfect. I want to make sure I do all the right things and I'm religious enough. I want to make sure uh, I, I do or not do these things. And they kind of, they, they just blew them up. And the Pharisees were concerned with keeping these additional commandments, these man-made ones extra, and especially showing off that they're keeping it. So the guy that's pulling Jesus or pulling the, the man over for carrying his mat, he's going to get kudos because um, he's, he's, get, he's you know, getting after him for breaking the law. One of the crazy Sabbath laws that I read, and you've got to hear this because it goes with the... Um, it says it's allowable to carry a man on a bed, but not to carry a bed without a man on it. <laughs> okay? I, I don't know. Then verse 11, so this is going on. So the man answered them, the Sabbath police. He didn't say, oh, look, I'm healed. Look, look at what this, this man did. He said, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. It was, it was this man, this man who healed me. The man said to me, take up your bed and walk. 
Come on, man. Come on. Not even in that opportunity can you not acknowledge the miracle, acknowledge what Jesus has done for you. No, instead, you're too worried about breaking law and getting caught yourself. He just got healed from a 38-year-old illness. And his focus is, is on not taking the responsibility of breaking the Sabbath law. And what does he do? He blames Jesus. He blames the guy that healed him as to why he broke the law. Look at verse 12. And so, as they're pulled over on the side of the dirt road um, with the lights flashing and, and whatnot, they ask him, who is this man who said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Come on, man. He didn't even know who Jesus' name. He didn't know who he was. The Samaritan woman went and told others. And this man went and told others, but what was his intention? To get Jesus in trouble. To take the blame off of himself. He had just had a miracle happen. A sign gift. A gift that was given him as a sign to point towards God and the kingdom of God. And he didn't read it right. To point towards him having his life changed and being transformed. So on to 14. So afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. So... I think Jesus then follows up, goes around, goes in the temple, and he's looking for this guy. Because he wants to try to make his point. He wants to try to show this guy that his heart needs to change. He wants to teach him more. Jesus points out that he wants to heal the man of his sin, indicating that Jesus knew his sins and they could have made him sick. He confronts the man. Now, we're not sure what the sin was, but it seems serious because Jesus commands him to stop. The verb, and I'm not very good at English and stuff like that, but the verb in here is in the present imperative, suggesting that the man is continuing to sin. Jesus says, stop. The man is continuing to sin. It's not just a slip up or a, a single occurrence. It's a, it's a way of life for him. So he says, worse? Something worse might happen to you? What could be worse than 38 years of being paralyzed? How about forever being separated from a loving God? Is sickness always the result of an ongoing sin? No. But in this case, it is a strong possibility by the words of Jesus here that it was. Lately, I've been studying and spending a lot of time just reading and meditating on Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Um, I want to challenge you to look at those and to study those. If you want to look at it now, it's page 975. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. It's been on my heart a lot. It's been in, uh, I've been studying it, looking at it, trying to apply it, thinking about it. 
It says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For what one sows, that will he reap. For the one that sows to his own sinful nature will from that sinful nature reap death. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. God is not mocked, meaning um, God's, God's not going to allow us to snub our nose at him. I don't need you. For what we sow, and though most of you know sowing seeds, planting seeds, what we plant, we're going to reap. What we plant, it's going to grow. And if we sow to our sinful nature, and our sinful nature is when we desire all the things opposite of God. We desire everything, and we make those things God, and we make those things important, and we desire them and want them. That's what our sinful nature is. When we sow seeds towards that, we're going to reap that. And it says we're going to reap death. Now, it might not mean physical death, but I know this. For me, when I I commit a sin, it comes back to get me. And that's, that's, I I, I think, uh, uh, what happens. When we sow um, those sins, those things that are against God, there's, there's a repercussion. Why? Not because God's up there saying, okay, who can I shoot next? Um, who's doing the naughty thing? I'm going to fry him with a lightning bolt. You know, he's not up there doing that. He's up there saying, I love you. I love you. What you're doing is wrong. It's hurting you. It's hurting our relationship. It could be even hurting your body, your family, the people around you. So he said, go and sin no more. Or go and, go and sin, he said to the guy. Don't you get it? I sought to tell you the point of what I did to you. The point was the healing of your heart, not your body. I conquered your sickness with a view of conquering sin. I healed you for the sake of holiness. So what did the man do? Did he go away? Oh, you're right, Jesus. I'm sorry. I forgive. Uh, This is awesome. He went away and he told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him. He gives Jesus up to the Jews again. A dumb moment. No repentance. No remorse for sin. Did not recognize the need for the Savior that was standing in front of him. And instead goes and gives Jesus up to the religious leaders. Verses 16 and 17. And this was why Jesus was persecuting, or the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now. I am working. Jesus is working. He's working in our lives. He wants us to see beyond uh, what's here and now. And he wants us to see Eternity. He wants us to see a relationship with him. He wants us to see that we, these things that we do and showing that we love him and that we're following Jesus is that we're spending time in his word. We're praying and talking to him. And these aren't just Sunday school answers and things that we do. They're actual ways we show love. We spend time in his word and listen to the Bible and listen to preaching and, and read. Um, we pray, we talk to God. Um, we thank him for what he's done. 
um, we confess sin, um, we, we, we pray with others, we pray ourselves, we gather together in worship, in loving each other, and we're loving God and loving others when we care for each other. We're saying no to sin, we're fighting or killing sin. Romans 8, 13, we can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're saying no, it's not right. We're, and then we're, we're sharing Jesus in the lives with, with people around us. We're doing these things not because they're churchy duties, okay? Not because they're things that we have to do, but we're doing it out of love. Because we see beyond. We see who God is. I'm going to pray. And I'd like to have the worship team and the ushers to come forward. We're going to take an offering. Before they do, I just um, want to pray for us in the offering. God, forgive me for focusing on the here and now, the right now. Help us, Father, to be able to um, lift our eyes up to look beyond what's happening now to eternity. To live for eternity while we're here. To love you in conversation and in prayer. To love you in reading your word and listening to your word being taught. To love you in having fellowship with other believers to love you and worshiping you through song and through giving. To love you through saying no and, and, and hating our sin and turning from our sin to you. God, help us with that. We want to be transformed. We need transformation. We need it. We need you. So I thank you, God, for this morning. Um, we offer this offering that we take now not just as a collection of taken money. This is an act of worship as we give joyfully to you for what you have given to us. And we do this in the name of Jesus. Amen.